I'm Angela Ross, and this is SoCal Voices. The San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors recently adopted a resolution declaring racism a public health crisis. It aims to address longstanding disparities in housing, employment, criminal justice, and more. On this edition of SoCal Voices, human rights advocate Grayson Bell shares his thoughts on whether the board's action can make a real and meaningful difference in people's lives. Hello, Grayson, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Angela, and hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. Very glad to have you on. I'm glad that you could be with us right now. Hey, look, before we get into the specifics regarding your work related to this resolution, I want to spend a little time on how you got to this point. What inspired you to pursue social activism? Well, personally, I will say that my activism has been consistent, but kind of quiet up until recently. So the very first instance of activism I had was in sixth grade. I went to a predominantly white charter school and they were not celebrating Black History Month. And I noticed about the 10th day in and, you know, February is a short month. And so I went to the principal and I mentioned it, didn't really think anything of it, didn't know that was activism. And then eventually the principal declared Black History Month like a celebration and apologized and all this. And I was very surprised by that. But that was like the first time I fought for something. And I said, well, let me do it some more. But I was always kind of quiet about it. So leading into college, again, Black History Month, I was always an advocate for Black History Month. And I found myself in predominantly white institutions. And so it kind of started just as that advocating for Black History Month, then it became social justice, equality across the board. So immigrant reform, you know, Black Lives Matter. I was a part of the Black Lives Matter movement in college. And it continued to the position I currently hold right now, which is program assistant at Blue Educational Foundation. And I just I couldn't help but be immersed in the social justice advocacy uh, movement. And so that led to our Rethink Public Safety initiative. And I won't give too much away, but it's been a slow build. And Mm -hmm. finally, I just had to accept the call. Yeah, sounds like you got um, inspired at a very early age. And when you saw you had that feeling and then when you acted on it and you got good results, the acknowledgement, et cetera, uh, that sparked something in you and, and you've been going ever since. So that's that's good. Let's fast forward now to the initiative that was presented to the San Bernardino County Board of Supervisors. How did that come about and what was your role in that? Well, again, um, leading back to my current position as the program assistant at Blue, the Rethink Public Safety initiative really formed quickly. And I don't think any of us were expecting it. Congregations uh, for Prophetic Engagement here in the Inland Empire, they were really the organization that organized it. And that's our Mm -hmm. partner organization. And they're also a social justice hub agency, just really uh, anything social justice here in the IE is either COPE and Blue or, you know, those organizations. But they came up with the idea to get racism labeled as a public health crisis because it it had kind of happened 
across the nation, but it hadn't happened here. And so it started as just an idea. And we were, uh, honestly, we were not making it up as we went along, but essentially so because we hadn't had any literature on it or anything. It was just literally an idea. And we said, now we have to put some momentum behind it. And so that's how I became involved because they were our partner organization. And then I started speaking at the county board meetings because they said as many voices as we can get. And this was, mind you, this was a few months into quarantine. And Mm -hmm. so I just kind of been sitting at home and I said, but I want to get involved in all the racial unrest across the nation. But, you know, very much here in the area, we just decided it was the right time. And I decided personally it was the right time for me to speak out and do something on behalf of the community. Now, from what I understand, this was one of the first, if not the first, uh, County Board of Supervisors to enact a resolution uh, like this. So it's really interesting to see governmental bodies do this, city councils, um, you know, boards of supervisors, uh, regional councils, whatever. And they often adopt measures like this that are declarative and some people might say just performative. And it's, it's a nice PR tool to talk about, but there, there's no enforcement. There's no accountability. You know, the elected officials take their victory lap and then nothing happens after that. How confident are you that this action uh, that the board took is going to actually result in meaningful, substantive change on the ground? What do you expect to see and how confident are you that that's going to occur? Great question. It is difficult because I don't really know what that's going to look like once we really shake things out and continue Uh, with the initiative. Yes, it's been passed. It was, you know, the first county in Southern California to do so. And then other counties followed and all of that. But it, it, that was honestly one of the biggest, you know, criticisms we got was, is this really going to happen? As you said, is it just performative? Is it just a PR stunt? What is change really going to happen? And how will change happen? So how change will happen is the fact we got it passed. I never, and this may sound um, a little dramatic, but I didn't believe that San Bernardino County would be a county to pass it, let alone be the first county to pass it. And I say that as a lifelong resident of San Bernardino County, born, raised, still reside. I didn't believe it. So the fact that it happened, and it happened fairly quickly, we... I believe it was three weeks from the time that we simply just said that's something we wanted to pursue to getting it to happen. That's really important because uh, San Bernardino historically has been pretty conservative. And uh, it's an indication of the demographic shift that has happened in this region over the years. Uh, There was a time when something like this would never have even been considered by the Board of Supervisors. So I do want to push you a little bit, though, on what you think this means, yeah, they passed it. And that in and of itself is a thing. It's not a a minor thing. We need to acknowledge that. But what's supposed to happen next? What should happen next? You Surely you have some vision or some idea of what you'd like to see. Absolutely. So yes, big deal that it passed. But what must happen next is obviously staying organized, 
holding them accountable. We did not, aside from declaring racism as a public health crisis, we didn't have like a list of demands, but we do want to see less policing of minorities here in the community. That's a big one. That was Mm -hmm. one of the biggest concerns that we heard just from citizens who gave public comment at the meetings. So less policing, definitely less police brutality, because that is a very real thing here nationwide, but here in the Inland Empire, and it does Mm -hmm. not get discussed. So those are, you know, those were the two biggest that I saw. Definitely the police and the board of supervisors staying in tune with the community. So with the nonprofits, so, you know, Blue Cope, all of the nonprofits, there's countless um, that are doing amazing work and more and more every day. So staying in tune with the community and having that open conversation and not it, you know, not just being a conversation, but what are we going to do to fix this? Because black and brown communities here in the IE tend to be affected the most. Another thing that is unrelated, but semi-related is because of the work that we did as a team, other counties started to change policies. Districts started to include more ethnic studies, implementing it in their districts. So things like that, that we're seeing not only in the district, but well, the districts within the county is giving me hope that there is change happening. We're having these conversations and it's not angry. It's, you know, things need to change. It's assertive. It's aggressive in that sense, but we really need to collaborate and work together. So it's a developing plan, but definitely those are some of the biggest things. Definitely police brutality, policing in general, pertaining to black and brown communities, and also just the little changes, like I said, with districts really taking a stance to implement minority studies and stop. So, you know, with even suspensions, because that's another topic we can get into another Mm -hmm. day who is being suspended, who is, you know, targeted at schools. And I know with the pandemic, everybody's at home, but it's still a very real thing. The education that we are getting and the systemic racism that is in all of our systems as a county. I noticed in the resolution that it mentioned the formation of an equity element group. And you've, you've touched on this a little bit in terms of the work that's going to be done. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and uh, what the county board of supervisors are looking to accomplish with the formation of this group? Absolutely. So to expand a little bit um, on that is The main thing is just definitely having that bridge between the community and not just representatives. So it's not like, oh, we just have a few representatives from the community. We're actually opening that connection to the community. So not just the representatives, not just the leaders of organizations or doctors at one of our various universities, but the community. Have we thought to actually talk to members of the community? So, and we're, we're not talking about just the students who are in college or the, you know, the community, it takes all of us. So that's a main part of the equity team is to have a conversation to, and when we say have a conversation, because that term is kind of thrown around, it's really to have dialogue and hear the concern on both sides but really to hear the voices of 
our people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's something that we're still working on because we do not want it to be a performative stunt. We do not want it to be a PR move because it, it, it easily could be. It, it could be, oh, they declared it. Cool. That's great. And you'll never hear of the aftermath, the effects of them declaring it. So it's really just staying in touch, having some meetings with some regularity instead of, okay, we just meet once a quarter. And then because that's how things fall off. So definitely accountability is key. And we're doing that by connecting law enforcement and all facets of all of our systems in the community to actual residents and hearing those concerns. So it's something that's still developing. I probably will have to have a part two on that. (laughs) Um, But it's definitely something because we're not just fighting simply for equality, but equity and systems change. And they we've taken a right step in the, you know, right direction, but it's still that accountability, the community, the concerns, all of the ugliness that we've swept under the rug for so long, being brought to the light, discussed, dissected, whatever, and healed for the future. Yeah. You mentioned law enforcement. Um, Do you have some partners in in the sheriff's department or the the PD that that are working with you now, that are dialoguing with you now? Because uh, there has been some history of uh, police abuse. And, and I think it's important to, and I, and I know that you, you feel this way that you're not anti-police, you're anti-police brutality. There is a difference. And I think too often that conversations like this, when we try to address the, the things that are wrong, it gets immediately blown into, well, you, you hate cops. You don't want peace in the street. You don't want, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, that's a real easy place to go because you don't want to deal with the truth that maybe you've got some, some folks in your group that are misbehaving and need to be dealt with. And, you know, the good cops know who the bad cops are. They, they know. Everybody in every organization knows who's pulling their weight and doing what they're supposed to do. And they know who isn't. So I'm curious as to whether you have dialogue with with any law enforcement officers and are they are you seeing an interest and a, a real sense of wanting to work with you in, in your organization? Yeah, I do not know the specifics in terms of the officers that we have kind of as liaisons. I know that we've had post uh, once the resolution got passed. We did have a big Zoom with a few police officers and like the DA, we had a meeting with him, a Zoom meeting. So it's pretty general. But so far, we haven't received like pushback from even like the San Bernardino Police Department or any of the other police departments. We are just solidifying who exactly will be brought to the table in that. But oddly enough, we have had, and personally, I can say this, I won't say who or anything, but there was a police officer um, that I know that mentioned to me like, well, why or, you know, yes, it got passed, but is it really going to go anywhere? That was not discouraging. I think it was just, uh, again, to remind us that although it passed, we still have to do our work. And we need to develop a concise, you know, vision of what 
this will look like, you know, we got it passed, but what we're organizing, but what, what is the shared vision? And again, having, at least having the ability to communicate with our, you know, with somebody from law enforcement is a good start. So as far as commitments, I'm not aware if any, you know, department has specifically come out and said, hey, we're committed, but I know that there is law enforcement that will be at the table along with community members, along with organization leaders or other advocates such as myself. So that's still information. Mm -hmm. That's good. So talk a little bit about, again, what what drives you to work in this in this arena, um, the, the organization that you're with and, and, and pushing for equity. For a lot of people, they're they're just now coming to the table, so to speak, because everybody was at home and under quarantine or lockdown and, and sadly saw uh, the horrible uh, murder of, of George Floyd. And it opened a lot of eyes to things that people have been talking about for a very long time, but some people just didn't see it. It didn't either immediately affect them. So they weren't that concerned or when it was mentioned, Oh, you're exaggerating. Oh, it really must not be. It couldn't be that bad. Well, now everybody sees how bad it can be. What is driving you and the folks that you work with to just continue to pursue this effort for, for equity? Well, definitely specifically from blue, uh, we're focused on educational equity. We definitely focus on the community as a whole, but that's the lens that we focus on. So equity has always been a part of the mission. So that's kind of how we approach this work, approach uh, change is through equity, not just equality, because, it, and I had to learn this, there is a difference. Equality is one thing, but equity is another looking at the systems, looking you know more at this is right, this is wrong. It's looking at what do we need to change to make it level for everybody. And one group might need more help than another, you know, because if everything's equal, everything's not equal. You know, if that makes sense, like, you know, and I I didn't really realize that. So that's how, you know, I've come to look through the frame that I've come to look um, at this work through. And so, That's one way. What pushes me personally is wanting to see change in the area that I have grown up uh, in. I attended college here at Cal Baptist in Riverside. So I've lived some of everywhere. I'm from the high desert, grew up in Apple Valley, Victorville, went to college in Riverside, (laughs) now based in San Bernardino. My organization is based in San Bernardino. And Mm -hmm. All three communities were so different, but had so many commonalities. And I saw inequality in each one. So different levels of it, yes, but still similar issues. And racism, while the area has shifted, racism is still very abundant in ways that you cannot believe. As recent as in college, knowing in Riverside, knowing Black candidate was running for ASB and had her posters burned. You know, that was recent. That wasn't in the 50s or 60s, as one would think. That was recent. And, you know, anytime within the last 20 years, I feel it's still recent to, you know, like that's still going on. But I've constantly been in, in environments in this area that show me that racism and inequality is very real and alive. and while we can't 
abolish it in one day, we need to change something. And so that's been my constant is wanting to see change, wanting to see a better community because we're already great. We're already, I, I love the Inland Empire, but I love Southern California in general, but I've always been aware of the racism here. And because it may not be as bad as Mississippi in the fifties, it doesn't get talked about. And so definitely that's what drives me. It's just wanting to see the community empowered, changing the narrative of the Inland Empire as more than just uh, the suburbs or the hood, <laughs> as as we see portrayed in the media, we see we don't really get the middle. We just see the suburbs or the hood. And it really is more than that. And so definitely want to play a part in that. And I'm only a small piece in that. I, I, I take no credit like it's all me, of course. I, I really want to be on that team to lead change. And I might not see the change in this lifetime at the, you know, the utopia I want it to be, but I know that I did something and I know that I was a part of something. We were chatting earlier about how encouraging it is to see someone like yourself really stepping out there. And yes, it takes a village and and it's not just you, but someone has to show that they are interested and they really have this drive and this spark to make change. And the evidence of success is that incremental change that you talked about. What's next for Grayson? What I know that you're going to continue to work on, on this initiative, but uh, what other things are you doing in, in your life to affect change in, in, in the area where you live? Oh, well, <laughs> so one thing that I am doing definitely is protesting still safely. Um, you know, in this age of the coronavirus, I think it's important to be among the people to not only tweet or Facebook, but to actually step out safely. I I always put that safely, uh, you know, connotation right there. But that's one thing I am working with a community forum here in Victorville called Reimagining Our Community. We're still kind of in the process of launching, but our, you know, our, our focus is to affect change in Victorville in the high desert. And of course, me being from here, that only made sense. You know, I need to sow seeds in the community that I am from, no matter where I'm at. Still, and, you know, still with the work that I'm doing with Blue, we are, oh, we're, we're doing so much. Our work has shifted to the community instead of just our students, which we're still available to our students. But we're still definitely, at the, this initiative is one thing, but we're doing a lot of voter engagement right now. So that's the next biggest thing. And that's honestly uh, with Rock 2 here in the high desert, we are doing a lot of voter engagement and you know, doing the propositions, uh, explanations, because that's a huge thing. And I'm not going to say it's a mess, but it can be tedious. So there's a lot. There's always a lot. <laughs> there, there's way too many. That's a, that's a good service that you're providing because a lot of people go, what is this? I never heard of it. I don't understand. So yeah. and that is helpful. And finally, what would you say to uh, someone who comes to you and says, man, Man, you're doing all this stuff. It's a waste of time, man. You guys aren't going to be able to do anything. You're not going to get anything accomplished. What's your reaction to that? What, how do you counter that when, when people come up to you and say something like that? 
Well, I side with optimism always. So I know that this world is not perfect. I know the process is not perfect. Being in any form of organizational leadership, social change is going to take time. It's going to, and the thing that I learned is you may not see it right now. So I would tell somebody, yes, you might not see change effective, I don't know, next month. (laughs) You might not even see it in two years. But the steps that you take right now are laying the foundation for change to build upon. So but if you just do nothing and say, oh, it's a waste of time, I'm not going to do it. Nothing's going to change. But if you lay that foundation down one brick at a time, half a brick at a time, whatever, something is going to get built. So you you have to look at it that way as opposed to wanting change to happen immediately or just not expecting it. I think we've been let down so many times in the past that we kind of can't adopt that pessimistic view. But again, I side with optimism and I think, yes, it's past. That's great, uh, you know, already by itself, but we, we have to continue laying the foundation. So don't give up. It's not an overnight thing. And that's simply what I would tell them. I would tell them it's very hard. You're going to be frustrated. I'm not going to sugarcoat that piece of it, but it's so worth it. You'll, you'll be happy that you. I played only but a small piece, and I am so happy to be a part of the Rethink Public Safety Initiative. And I think that the more people that see that or kind of shift their mindset about what change is going to look like or when it's supposed to happen, and they just start doing the work, I think they'll feel fulfilled as well. Grayson Bell. You are an inspiration and I love your optimism. That is a good thing. That is a very good thing. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing with us what you're doing to affect change where it's needed, which is everywhere. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Keep up the the good work. No, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. I was glad to have you. Thank you. Take care. You too. I'm Angela Ross. Thanks for listening to SoCal Voices. If you have comments or questions, reach out to us at contactus at SoCalVoices.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SoCal Voices.